New game day shirt? Boom. Cash back. Food for the tailgate? Boom. Cash back. Even buying a round can earn you cash back when you use your debit card. And yes, I said debit card. With Discover Cashback Debit, everyone can earn cash back on everyday purchases. Look, in sports, it's hard to predict who is taking the win, but you know what's guaranteed to win? Discover Cashback Debit. Oh, and did I mention there are no fees, period? I'm telling you, this one, it's a real game changer. Check out transaction eligibility and terms at discover.com slash cashbackdebit. Discover Bank, member FDIC. Total Soccer Show and our latest batch of listener questions. On today's show, we're asking what's next for Sergino Dest. We're considering an NWSL European crossover, Jetsons and Flintstone style. And we're asking why there are so many gosh darn soccer teams in London. My name's Ryan Bailey. Joining me today, a man who loves a last minute FA Cup comeback, Taylor Rockwell. Hello. Hello. I really, really did. That was super fun. It feels fun to be a Manchester United fan these days. It feels, to be honest, like even more fun. Uh, this is a bit of trolling to be texting with my Manchester United like supporting friends and uh, especially kind of gleefully talking about the problems at Liverpool and not have to immediately think about the problems at my own club. It- it's fun times. It's fun times to feel stable. Fun times indeed. Man United winning 3-1 over West Ham. A couple of post-90-minute goals there. Uh, Fulham in the quarterfinals for Man United. Man City versus Burnley also coming up. The Vincent Company derby. Fun times indeed. I was watching, uh, personally, Taylor, I was watching Arsenal drink Everton's milkshake at the same time yesterday. So... (laughs) Huh. Ryan, there we are. I've done some thinking uh, before we get to the full-on introductions. I'm just going to keep going with Man United for a moment because it occurred Appreciate to me it. as Uh-oh. I uh, can't stop him. You cannot. As I poo-pooed the League Cup, uh, sort of as like, ah, we'll see what happens after that. And uh, at least both Ryan and Graham, maybe Joe a little bit, were like, all right, guy, like you've won silverware. I would love for that to be the case. I did think some more about it and how, like. When I talk about being a Man United supporter and being frustrated, uh, it is really like sort of a disservice to then people who support clubs like Wimbledon and Sterling. Uh, it's like, oh, too, oh, poor you. You had to wait a whole six years. Like your club wasn't relocated or underfunded and never will be. Uh, and, and so I felt kind of bad about that. And I think what I would just like to say is that maybe your club should just be better. And that might happen. <laughs> God. Oh, see, this is what I was talking about. The dynamic of this podcast oh, is going to well change done. fundamentally. Well done. Oh, yes, Taylor. So good. Graham, so good. You heard, you heard it there, Graham. We should have picked the most successful team in the world instead of a, I know, a local that's one. where we there went wrong. Yeah, yeah. Oh, your, your fault there, Graham. Uh, might as well introduce you now, Graham Rutherford. Hello, how are you doing? Hi, Ryan. I'm fine. How are you? I'm very good. I understand you're walking in a Cremonense wonderland right now. Cremonense with their first win in Serie A since March 96 this week. Wow. I mean, we should mention they haven't been in Serie A every season since March 96. Uh, They have been going up and down the divisions, so that maybe accounts for why they've had to wait so long for a win. But you are right. They beat Jose Mourinho's Roma. (laughs) Uh, Was that two nights ago or was that last night? I can't quite remember, but certainly this week. Yeah. And that's our first win of the whole season. Uh, We had a a question from a listener early in the season which asked, 
who will which team will go the season or is more likely to go the season without a win Elche in La Liga or Cremonense in uh, in Serie A I believe both teams have wins now so neither is the answer we finally have an answer months later but yeah Jose Mourinho didn't take that very well I believe he got sent off and then had a rant after the match he did indeed. He's also in trouble for um, going to a Roma Lazio youth game and uh, encouraging the players to dive and sh- uh, booing the Lazio. No players. way. <laughs> yeah, that can't yeah. be real. Good stuff, right? Is that All genuine? Good. Is that genuine? That that is unbelievable. Just what the internet's That's told totally me. I wasn't there, but uh, we'll, we'll see. We'll see about that one. Um, uh, by the way, Sampdoria bottom in Serie A now in dreadful form. Criminense uh, creeping above them pour, as, as a kit man as a kit lover Graham Sampdoria you've got to pour some out for them oh, the yeah. uh, classic the red and white stripe on the blue beautiful and then the traditionally is it like a diamond sort of thing on on and like a badge like a diamond badge anyway it's a very nice a very nice shirt so I'm now starting the campaign to save Sampdoria save Samp for the kits uh, thank you by the way to Eric Milner who emailed a series of Cremonese, Cremonese facts uh, and and details about their season, including that uh, prior to this match, they had only led for a total of 119 minutes in the entirety of the season. So 5.7% of the time in in like all of the matches they played, wow. they had been leading. Now it's 180 minutes. They're up to two full matches, says Eric. Uh, lots of other details in there. But yeah, a fascinating season in which they could also still win the Coppa Italia. Yeah. And I think they've gotten past Roma and Napoli. They so beat, Yeah, they beat Roma in that competition as well. So again, I'm sure Mourinho loved that. Indeed. They are Roma's kryptonite. Uh, They they will continue to be their kryptonite. Uh, Rounding out our pack, guys, a man who may or may not believe Ted Ted Lasso set us back 20 years and cursed Jesse Marsh. That, Joseph Lowry, is what Jim Curtin said this week. What say you? Wow, I was wondering where that was going. Did I did I accidentally say that on a podcast at some point? Was I dreaming about that and you asked some some sort of inception to my dream? I'm not really sure what happened there, but... uh, I don't think that's true. I feel like it's not. I think Jesse Marsh probably would have been fine if he'd won more games at Leeds. Um, <laughs> seemed like people mostly liked him there, and and so I I don't really know that that applies here. But Jim Curtin's been dropping some heat lately. He's I guess he's got yeah, that he quote. Has. He's been talking about the union. He's been talking about how people that give anonymous quotes to the Athletic are cowards. Like this is I think that I think that was Jim Curtin. Shoot, maybe that maybe, now you guys have got me doubting. I got to no, look this was, up. No, it was it was Jim Curtin. Okay, it good. was it Thank was because it was a, a, an MLS executive that said that uh, the union aren't actually that good, and he basically told them to shut up. Right, <laughs> right. So Jim, Jim Curtin. Curtin's been in good form recently, Ryan. I love it. That, that I love man it too. has embodied what it is to be from Philly. I got it. Yes, say. he has. Yes, he has, <laughs> Taylor. Indeed. Those comments in The Athletic, if you want to read on there. Um, let's get to the listener questions, by the way. Patreon.com slash Total Soccer Show. If you'd like bonus episodes, bonus videos, and much, 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 much more. I'm, in fact, uh, I've just arrived in London. I'm going to a Wimbledon game this weekend where I will make a video. So there's a little plowing tour coming to the buy a pie. there as well. Oh, yeah. I'll buy it. There is a whole row. They've got a name for it, like the row for where all the food stands are. And they switch them up all the time, Graham. You'd love it. Apart from the fact it's in London, you'd love it. And So in my world, this is the equivalent of what Taylor did at the, the top of the show, basically bragging about supporting a winning team. Yeah. That's what you're doing to me right now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But you you put on the feed that um, Sterling, Albion are doing some amazing combos of pies pretty soon, right? Yeah. 
Oh, so I'm also going to do a video this weekend, and the, because because the pie, the speciality pie for this weekend, the suppliers of the pies now tweet me and they tw- uh, tag me in their tweets every single week, uh, <laughs> which is very on brand for me. I don't know whether I am proud or ashamed of that. But the You're speciality proud of it, pie, don't for- lie. you're absolutely oh, yes. proud of it. I'm not buying yes, that for am, one yeah. second. <laughs> <laughs> I am proud of it. Hence why I put it in our chat. Um, yeah, the speciality pie for. This weekend is mixed pakora, and that will consist of chicken tikka mixed with donor meat with pink pakora sauce. I cannot wait, and I plan on doing a video on that on that specific pie. I know, I know. Ryan wants to get to the questions. Graham, are you yeah. the most famous Sterling Albion supporter on earth right now? <laughs> I mean, just to give context, like if listeners out there aren't on Twitter, like Graham is, Graham is like a a decent sized deal on Twitter. I think he's got the most followers of of any of us. You've got a lot of followers on Twitter, like twenty thousand or so maybe it's more than that like uh, are are you the guy th- so this is this is a this is a source of pain for me there's another journalist who is also a sterling albion fan called robin <laughs> berner we chat sometimes with sterling albion and he's got more followers than uh, me so i might be oh. i might be number two Fight. number Robin's two it's a big tennis guy we as well fight. graham he might have you there he too is. i know he's basically the better <laughs> me oh i'm so, so sorry to hear that wait if we're just going with followers then does that mean that we need to start a campaign to get graham above uh, this Robin fellow yeah, what's in terms the gap? of followers, and then yeah. yeah, what is the gap, Graham? It's not. It's it's, it's manageable. Hold on. Okay. Robin is on, All right. Uh, it's oh. not that manageable. He's on thirty nine thousand, and I yeah. I am on. What am I on? I am on twenty six. <laughs> so yeah, a fair distance to make up. Oh, All right. the Let, pie fans, give me a follow. Let's end this measuring contest here, shall we? I'll just say, Taylor, do you remember in The Simpsons where the hot dog vendor uh, follows Homer around and uh, he goes, lady, he's putting my kids through gullage. I think that's what the uh, the pie guys are doing with Graham right now. That's why they tag me. (laughs) I I would go with that. I would go with... The episode of The Office in which everyone is just trying to sell Kevin Girl Scout cookies because they know yep. that he will buy more than everyone in the office combined. I also just picture Graham having like 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 a gaggle of like a, a mother goose with all of her little baby geese behind her. It's just Graham with a series of pie men following behind him in case he gets hungry. <laughs> also what I'm picturing at his games. I'd welcome that. All right. All right. Listener question stands are champing <laughs> at the bit for some questions. So let's get to it now. Matt Adler has got in touch. This is one of the hardest questions we had in a very, very long time, guys. Who would you take out of Marcus Rashford, Vinicius Junior, or Kavicha Karatskelia for the rest of the season if you had to pick one of those players? And does your answer change if you were thinking longer term? Joe, this is not an easy one to throw to you first with. I suppose it depends on your needs, depending on your team. But, I mean, can we say who's in the best form right now? I'm not even sure you can yeah. make a case for all of them. Yeah, you could. I think Rashford is probably in the best form at the moment. He's been really, really hot, and he fits well, Ryan, to your point about style, in a team that is more transition-based, right? Eric Ten Hag, Graham, you and I have talked about this a number of times, right? Eric Ten Hag probably wants to have a bit more possession with Manchester United than he's had this season, and Rashford, I think, is a real beneficiary from from that style, that more transition-heavy style, because he can break in beyond. He is He's like Mbappe, sort of in that way. But my pick for this, both for the rest of this season and beyond, is Vinicius Jr. I think he is just the best player of the three. Kavaradona has broken out this year and has been exceptional. And these are all three, like, just elite, elite attacking players. Vinicius Jr. doesn't have as many goals. But, I mean, you go through and look at some of his other numbers. I think he's a better creator than either of those other two players. And, I mean, we've seen the goal scoring from him before, right? He scored 17 goals last season. He's not quite on pace for that this year. He's, his production hasn't quite uh, quite reached that level. But I think he is the most well-rounded player. I think he is the one that you feel most confident is going to get you some sort of goal or assist contribution 
coming into a game. And if we do expand this out, like Matt says, to thinking long-term, then I'm, I'm extra locking in my answer as Vinicius Jr. He's three years younger than Marcus Rashford. He's about a year older than Kavaradana, but they're both 22 right now, so it's a little bit less than a year. Uh, you're, you're 22 until you're 23, just as a fun fact for, <laughs> yeah. for people. Yeah, thanks, thanks very much. <laughs> Appreciate that. Um, so uh, Vinicius Jr., both for his longevity potential and I think for how well-rounded his game is, and we've seen that with Real Madrid, He's my pick here, and I'm I'm not really sure that it's all that close in my mind, even though I know full well that you can make really good arguments for all of them. Graham, what argument will you make? I think we I'd agree with Joe with Rashford being perhaps the most informed, certainly in terms of goal scoring out of those guys. Yeah, so I think Rashford is maybe the odd one out in that in my mind he is a wide goal scorer. And I know Vinicius and Kavarat Scalia also score goals, but I think they're maybe a little bit more rounded in their attacking output. Certainly in the case of Kavaradona, I think he's more rounded than Rashford. So if I'm giving a boring answer, it depends on what sort of team I have. Um, if I'm taking any of these three players for Sterling Albion, I'm not picky. I'll take any of them, to be honest. But if I'm starting a team from scratch, I kind of know I need to know how the team plays. If I need a goal scorer, Rashford, I think, is probably the 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 sharpest goal scorer out of those three. He can play through the middle as well. He can play on he can play in the right. And as Joe says, if I'm playing in quick transition um, and I have a goal scoring number nine, then. Uh, or sorry, I don't have a goal-scoring number nine, then Rashford is maybe the guy I'm going to. If I do have a goal-scoring number nine and I need someone to compliment him, maybe Vinicius is, is the player that I go to. And if I need someone to play through and offer a little bit of everything, it's probably Kavaradona, Kavaratskalia. Um So I'm very much sitting on the fence with all, with all three. <laughs> um, Long-term, I kind of differ with Joe here, and this is maybe me gambling, because I agree right now Vinicius Jr. I think is a better player than Kavaratskalia. But I just look at how this is his first season at the top level and how good he has been in that first season. It is frightening to think what he could be in a few more seasons. And I know Napoli have been great this season, but he's not surrounded by the players he would be surrounded uh, by at Real Madrid or Man City. And Vinicius Jr. is already in that setting. So maybe Kvaradona doesn't get up to that level, but in my mind, there, there is a, there's a potential payoff that he gets even better beyond this stage. So actually, long term, I would uh, I would take Kvaradona. Graham, as a counterpoint to that, Rashford and Vinny, you could argue, are proven quantities, whereas with Kvaradona, Francis Jeffers was good in his first season. There's another, there's another just way say, around Yeah, that. well... <laughs> I don't think Francis Jeffers was ever. Uh, he was never compared to Maradona. Let's put it put it that way. There was no, there was never a nickname that, that likened him to Maradona. Jeffers, I think maybe. The, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, I, I can't even think of a nickname off the top of my head. I was going to try and come up with one, but there's nothing there with Francis Jeffers. Yeah, I think maybe Ryan. That says something about our personalities. I'm a gambler. I'm going to go with uh, Kvart Scalia because he might get even better, and then uh, undoubtedly down the line he will suffer some sort of bad injury and that will cost me uh, a lot if I were to buy him. All right. Uh, Taylor, for the sake of balance, I guess you've got to go for Rashford. I, I actually had Rashford last on my list, uh, probably because I have watched him the most and have the most familiarity with him. And thus he has frustrated me at times far more than Vinicius Jr. or uh, Kavaradana ha have. Uh, Rashford is in excellent form. I think he has the most goals of any of these three this season. But there were also plenty of times in seasons past when I felt like his decision-making was poor. He didn't finish chances that I thought he could have. Uh, he should have done better there. Let me just make Joe's uh, like uh, <laughs> eye twitch a little bit. Uh, and, and so I think I have 
just more of the the back and forth of like, yes, I've seen him be excellent and world class. I've also seen him miss the target when he absolutely could have at least put it on frame. And so I think because of that familiarity, I I look at somebody like Vinny Jr., who is my, my number one, uh, because he is a player who just I, I think of as if your team is up against him, no matter what, there is also always a possibility he's going to create something. And he feels like one who, even if you have three players on him, a la Liverpool, he can still find a way to score. And I think he can be that difference maker. So too can Rashford, so too can uh, Kavardana. But I think Vinicius Jr. is just that little bit of a difference maker, that little bit finds a way to make something happen out of nothing. Rashford can do that, but I think also just has some of those down periods as well. I'm sure they all do, but because I'm more familiar with Rashford's, and I think Kavardana for the reasons you laid out, Ryan, just that one sort of season, we don't have a ton of other uh, data to go off of when it comes to playing in the top flight. So for me, Vinicius Jr. Yeah. And and on, on Rashford, I don't want to turn this onto the Rashford pile on because he's a world-class player. He has um, been in exceptional form this season. But what's his, Taylor, what's his record? Like 17 goals in 20 games or, or, or something like that? Um, no matter what it is, it's a lot of goals in, in a lot of games. And you just kind of think, is is this real? Like, is is there a drop-off coming at some point? Because that has been the way of Marcus Rashford's career to date. He's never been as high as, as, as this. This is as good as he has ever been. But nonetheless, when he's been good previously, and he was very good when Solskjaer came into Manchester United, then a new manager comes in, he drops off. You With, with Kvaradona and Vinicius, you kind of feel like, particularly with Vinicius, if Ancelotti leaves at the end of the season, a new manager comes in, I still think Vinicius is going to be one of the best players in the world. And I'm not... I'm not really sure with Rashford if that is the case yet. I guess I just need a larger body of work from Rashford, which is a little bit weird because he is the oldest of the three. But nonetheless, that's kind of where I am on him. Yeah, I think and that and that helps kind of like tick some boxes for me or connect some dots that hadn't been connected, Graham. Of I think because of Tenchalati at Real Madrid, there is that also idea that sometimes his response to going 2-0 down is like, eh, let Vinny cook. Vinny, go do things and we'll see what happens. And I think sometimes gives his players that individual freedom to try to create. And I think that's maybe a luxury that Napoli don't have this season. I think Manchester United under Eric Ten Hag don't really have this season. And so I think I've seen Rashford sort of put the team on his back and create something from nothing less. I see him more finishing excellent team moves or being in the right place to make something happen. And that's incredibly important and has been a difference maker for Manchester United. But if we're talking about bringing in one player to sort of be a difference maker, but also make the team function better. I think Vinicius Jr. is a more clear-cut option for me. All righty, Matt, thank you very much for that question. We're going to take a quick pause. When we come back, plenty more. New game day shirt, boom, cash back. Food for the tailgate, boom, cash back. Even buying a round can earn you cash back when you use your debit card. And yes, I said debit card. With Discover Cashback Debit, everyone can earn cash back on everyday purchases. Look, in sports, it's hard to predict who is taking the win, but you know what's guaranteed to win? Discover Cashback Debit. Oh, and did I mention there are no fees, period? I'm telling you, this one, it's a real game changer. Check out transaction eligibility and terms at discover.com slash cashbackdebit. Discover Bank, member FDIC. 
Did you know that even if you have a 401k for retirement, you can still have an IRA? Robinhood has the only IRA that gives you a 3% boost on every dollar you contribute when you subscribe to Robinhood Gold. But get this, now through April 30th, Robinhood is even boosting every single dollar you transfer in from another retirement account with a 3% match. That's right, no cap on the 3% match. Robinhood Gold gets you the most for your retirement thanks to their IRA with a 3% match this offer is good through April 30th. Get started at Robinhood.com slash boost. Subscription fees apply. And now for some legal info. Claim as of Q1 2024 validated by Radius Global Market Research. Investing involves risk including loss. Limitations apply to IRAs and 401ks. 3% match requires Robinhood Gold for one year from the date of first 3% match. Must keep Robinhood IRA for five years. The 3% matching on transfers is subject to special terms and conditions. Robinhood IRA available to U.S. customers in good standing. Robinhood Financial LLC member SIPC is a registered broker. Dealer. Total Soccer Show, welcome back. Hugh B has been in touch, who says, I'd like to hear your thoughts on what's going on right now with Serginho Dest. Left off the Champions League squad for Milan with reports they're unwilling to pay the 20 million fee to sign him this summer. He's not in Xavi's plans at Barcelona. What would be a good move for Dest at this point? What does he need to do to be ready for 2026? And do we see him featuring in the Nations League and Gold Cup competitions this summer, given the uncertainty of his situation? Ooh, Taylor, what would you like to start us off with, uh, Mr. Dest? I think I'll, I'll take us back uh, to kind of maybe try to explain how we got to where we are, and then we can look at what comes next. Uh, but for people who aren't as familiar or haven't been following Serginho Dest for quite some time, he broke through as a youngster with Ajax. But even when he makes this move to Barcelona, when he starts getting linked with that move, he isn't the out-and-out every-single-game starter at Ajax, at least not to my memory. Uh, Masrawi is still very much in that conversation. Talia Fico, I think, also splitting time with Dest. And then other uh, options at Ajax as well. So I, I felt like we had a player in Dest who chose to play for the United States who was this exceptional talent but still had some polishing to be done. And that was where I really liked the idea of him going to Bayern Munich. That was the other team that were heavily linked with him. Uh, and it was reported that that's where he would end up. I still have that sort of what if scenario because I think instead he goes to Barcelona and he is exactly the player that comes from Ajax. He's a very good attacking fullback. He, he can create, he can take people on, he can provide assists, he can score goals himself. And he is a big player in that way. I don't think he has the defensive side of his game polished. And that was a thing when we first saw him start playing. My big concern was vertical balls over the top in 1v1 scenarios. He got beat by like three of those in his first game for the U.S. That he just couldn't track the ball and the player at the same time. And from there, it does seem like the knock on him has been defensive awareness is poor. Positioning is lacking. And he can basically dive into challenges. He makes like the wrong decision at the wrong moment. And to me, that is a player who still hasn't sort of developed the defensive side of his game. I think that was a thing that started to happen under Ronald Koeman because I think Ronald Koeman was focused on Dest. He thought he could make a, a player of Dest who could make that team better. He still says that. Uh, there was a quote from him about Dest being a better player than Sergio Roberto. He doesn't understand what happened at Barca. What I think happened is that Xavi came in and looked at all the things he needed to fix and figure out. And I think he didn't, 
really want to have to deal with a, a defender who couldn't defend. And I think he didn't have the time to develop Dest the way he needed to be developed. So he goes to Milan on loan. And maybe there's an idea that they're a defensive team. They'll figure it out, except that their defense isn't very good either. And I think Dest hasn't gotten that instruction, hasn't sort of learned how to develop in a way that he can defend at that world-class level. And so what happens next? My hope is that he goes somewhere where he plays every single game or most games, but at the same time is with a coach who has the patience and the ability to teach and sort of coax out that more complete defensive performance. So we still get the attack, but we still get the defensive side of things. That is my sort of read on Dest. I think he doesn't control defensive situations. I think when he's 1v1 with somebody, he is not sort of baiting them into making the wrong decision. I think he is oftentimes reacting to what the attacker is doing. Sometimes when you're reacting, you're going to get that right. Sometimes you're going to get it wrong. But I think the best defenders in the world have more control over that situation. And I don't think that's a thing that he has fully developed yet. All right. Joe, what do you think? What's what's the next uh, jumping off point for Serginio Dest? Yeah, I think for me... Dest's ceiling at this point, and, and I know he's still young, he's 22, I have real concerns about his ability to impact uh, an elite European club, he failed to do so at Barcelona, he's failed to do so so far at Milan, although one thing that hasn't been mentioned a lot in the public discussion around Dest's time at Milan is how many injuries he's dealt with, he's missed a bunch of games with injuries, I, as far as I'm aware, that played a part in him being dropped from the Champions League spot uh, squad for Milan heading into the round of 16, so I mean, there there have been issues here that really aren't in his control entirely. But Dest, I don't think, is good enough for Bayern or Barca. At this point, I think it's pretty clear that he's not elite, but he is very good, right? His value is in progression. His value is in possession. So his actual level, in my view, is probably a team that's trying to qualify for the Europa League, maybe a Europa League team or or a team that's challenging for the Champions League spots, but is closer to fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh in in a major league. I think he can be a very good player. And I still think he's a massive player for the U.S. men's national team, which is kind of the lens with which this question is being asked. But as far as a club goes, there's not really like an ideal situation in my mind, because like I said, you know, the the dominant teams in Europe that want to keep the ball that you would think Dest would thrive in. He's never shown that he can really defend at that level or that he can create at that level in the final third. He gets you to the final third. He gets you some some good press resistance and build up. But I'm concerned that the teams that are going to try to be that next tier down below are going to defend too much for Dest to be really useful. And I think ultimately he can find that balance. He'll probably grow into that. But as far as the next step for Dest, it really is this summer, go and play either the Gold Cup or the Nations League with the U.S. men's national team. That's that's going to happen, barring injury. Nothing that's happened at club level will prevent him from going to represent the U.S. He seems to have really enjoyed the World Cup, talked about you know how how good that was for him and how much he enjoyed his time there with the team. So... I would imagine it'll be Nations League, not Gold Cup, just because of the length between the two and how many games players will have played over the course of this season. I think we'll go to the Nations League. I think he's probably going to end up back at Barcelona, and then they're going to have to find something to do with him. Dest, it seems like, wants to have a place where he can play. When he go, when he went to Milan, he said, like, I hope they buy me. I think that's a direct quote from what Dest said. So he wants to go somewhere where he thinks he can get minutes. It hasn't worked out at Milan. There will be a club out there that wants him because he's still hugely talented. He has that international profile. But I don't have a great read or feel for the type of club or the, I mean, the type of style, I guess I should say, or the specific name of a team that Dest will really thrive at. Joe, I have, I have an idea that I've stumbled upon that I'm now into. But my first question for you, obviously, you are not a doctor. You do not know his medical history. But would you have 
How big would your concerns be about him coming to the Premier League? Uh, I mean, equal to other places. I'm not sure that the Premier League is like infinitely more physical or more aggressive than other leagues. My concern, if I'm a team that's interested in, in uh, signing Sergio Dest, is just that he's been injured a lot yeah. throughout his career. So that's probably true if I'm a Premier League team or if I'm a league on team. I think I do think of the Premier League as more physical or maybe more intense. I don't know. Maybe that's just because I watch it more. But I would be a little bit concerned about that. With that said, I think about a club who had an American fullback who I had concerns about his defensive positioning and ability and is now a lights-out defender who starts every single game for them and also facilitates attacking play. I feel like Fulham might be an interesting spot for Serginho Dest to go. He can partner Anthony Robinson. We can get the American three of the back four with Tim Ream in there too. Let's get Walker Zimmerman in and just make it a full back four. What could go wrong? Uh, but I do think like that is maybe the size of club that I think could work better for him is one where there is some attacking play, some possession-oriented play, but at the same time, it's not going to be this world-class team where one bad performance and he's out uh, like on the outside looking in. Yeah, I think I think Fulham would be a good fit. Um, off the top of my head, for for Dest, they weren't on my list. I I think I'm a little bit uh, hotter on Dest than, than maybe most people on 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 this podcast. I think I've said that before. I I am a Sergino Dest fan. I thought he was harshly treated at Barcelona. I thought Xavi kind of make, made up his mind very quickly on him. And even when Dest was playing pretty well, was was still saying things about him in press conference uh, situations. And so I wasn't surprised to see him leave uh, Barcelona. I think Dest's biggest problem, besides injuries, of course, but his biggest problem is he's made two bad career decisions in a row. So Barcelona maybe wasn't that immediately because Ronald Koeman's there. He has an ally there, but then it becomes that when Xavi takes over. AC Milan has been a bad career decision for Sergino Des because because of their injuries, yes, but also because um, you know with Teo bombing forward on the left side, um, Pioli tends to kind of shuffle it into a back three with Calabria on the right of the defence, and then um, kind of in possession that becomes a three, a back three, and Dest obviously isn't good enough in that in that role. And then you also have, uh, or sorry, Kalulu, Kalulu, sorry, will be on the right side of the back three. But then you also have like Junior Messias playing as a, as a right wing back in that team on occasion. And I don't think Dest can perform that role either. So they kind of toggle between two, two systems and approaches that don't suit Sergino Dest. I still think he's only 22. I still I still think there's room for uh, for him to grow and develop and get up back to the elite level, but I do agree his next move needs to just be somewhere where he's going to play. And I don't know whether the symbolism of him going back to Ajax is is uh not going to be ideal for him and it kind of underlines his regression, the fact that he'd be going back to the club where he broke through. But Ajax's right-back situation right now isn't ideal. So Wrench has been playing that position for them this season. He is very raw. Um, I read some articles saying that Ajax are looking to replace him. They'd be looking for a right-back for the start of next season. Ajax are a, you know traditionally a dominant team within their, in, within their league. So I think that style, that possession style suits him. But you maybe don't have the strength of attackers to expose him in a, in a defensive sense. So if there was the right coach at Ajax to work on some of his weaknesses, I wouldn't be against him going back to uh, back to Amsterdam. All right. Thank you, Hugh, for that question. Let's move on to one from Bobby Drexler. Hi, guys, says Bobby. So in FIFA, you can manage both a club team and receive offers to manage a national team at the same time. Has there ever been an instance of this happening in real life? And if we could choose a manager to do this for the USMNT, where he wouldn't have to worry about them leaving their position, who would we want, says Bobby? Uh, Graham, in terms of previous examples, there are 
a fair few of them. The one that comes to the front of my mind uh, first is Chris Hiddink, who was yep. interim coach at Chelsea in 2009 after Luis Felipe Scolari's reign at Stamford Bridge. He was um, also Russia's coach at the same time. Uh, won the FA Cup with Chelsea in his last game and then popped off back to Russia. It helps when one of Russia's most powerful people yeah, uh, owns your club. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there was a time when being Chelsea manager and Russia manager was basically the same thing, so there, there, it didn't really matter. I think there was also some overlap between him being PSV Eindhoven manager and Australia manager um, in 2005. So Gus Hiddink is essentially just the multitasking king in 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 uh, soccer management, uh, Sir Alex Ferguson is another who was a, a club manager and an international manager at the same time. His circumstances a little bit different, so he was Scotland assistant manager at the same time as being Aberdeen manager. And then Jock Steen uh, died and uh, during the match that Scotland qualified for the 1986 World Cup, uh, Ferguson took over for that tournament. Uh, the weird thing was that Aberdeen actually had a co-manager for that period, so Archie Knox became Aberdeen co-manager with uh with Ferguson to basically cover his shifts while he was uh while he was Scotland manager so yeah I think Goose Hiddink Alex Ferguson obviously he wasn't Scotland manager for a very long time but obviously you could argue he's the greatest manager of all time and he did it for for a period as well that Ferguson one feels very much like senioritis to me where I think he had already announced he was going to leave Aberdeen at the end of the season so having a co-manager to be like you know what you handle it like I don't feel like turning that assignment in you can you can do that one I'll be over here managing Scotland and then uh, off he goes to England uh, I had Ferguson on my list I had Hiddink I had Leonid uh, Slutsky who manages Russia and I believe it was Siska Moscow at the same time uh, so I guess Russia featuring prominently on this list those are some of the, like the notable ones I saw I read a few different lists, and maybe I have the timelines wrong, but there are a lot of names on those lists that I don't think overlapped necessarily. Fasi Tarem is one that gets mentioned a bunch as being Galatasaray manager and Turkey manager at the same time. And I think partially it's because he's done both of those, I think, three times each. He's managed Galatasaray three different times. He's managed the Turkish national team three times. But I believe all of them sort of one ends, one begins, that one ends, the next one begins. I don't know how much overlap there was with that one. Same thing with uh, Renus Michel or Michaels. We still don't know which one it is. Uh, with Barcelona and the Dutch, I don't know if there was actual overlap there, but they were within the same year. So I think sometimes they get erroneously linked together. One tailor that came to mind just as you were speaking then, which I think is an almost happened, Ralph Ranick. When he was at Manchester United, he was oh, yeah. linked with the Austria job. He took the Austria job, I believe, in the April. It, I think it was after he was interim manager, but then he was still going to be working upstairs at Man United and do the Austria job. I don't think that came to pass in the end, but it was a there was a confusing overlap situation there. Yeah, I'm going to call that the like like Jesse Marsh's situation is a Ralph Rangnick situation in which I think Rangnick thought like, oh, I'll get this job long term and be able to be no, you want me for four months. That's it. And it sounds like that's what Southampton wanted with Jesse Marsh as well was you get the rest of the season and then we'll see what happens. Uh, yeah, I think that was kind of the situation with Rangnick, but I don't know if that was because he was doing such a great job. <laughs> everybody was wanting him the way it was with maybe Gus Hiddink. I think with Rangnick, it was, oh, we're not, you're not going to be around very long. I'm not going to be around very long. So let me see what else is out there. Austria sounds good. There we go. Joe, um, who would we choose for the USMNT if we could job share a manager on their behalf? Yeah, I mean, this is basically just like pick who you want in the US job now, isn't it? It's just, just wrapped yeah. up in a different uh, package. <laughs> I, I put Jurgen Klopp in my notes. I don't know that I feel 
great about that. I think you could you could get a number of different really good choices from around the world right now if you don't have to worry about the salary, which, you know, by all accounts is a major hurdle for U.S. soccer at the moment with someone like Jurgen Klopp or a Pep or a Tuchel or a Pochettino, whatever that looks like. But pretty much any of those names I think would be fascinating and would provide fascinating content. But Klopp is the one that I went with. We've seen him work on the press. We've seen him uh, shift over time to becoming more possession-oriented. It sort of seems to me like he is a, a manager who has experience balancing uh, different styles in different moments. So the U.S., their big issue a lot of the times, although less so heading into 2026 because they don't have to qualify, is that against the small teams, they got to be dominant on the ball because they're going to have to control and they're going to have to create. It's hard to do that stuff, especially when against the big teams, uh, you're still not like the better team on the field. We saw against England, the U.S. sat in a 4-4-2 mid-block, like 2019 style at the World Cup, and they they frustrated England and, and sort of switched up how they played. So I think Klopp could do a good job of oscillating back and forth between the two. The other part of this, though, fellas, is I honestly cannot imagine wanting to do this. Like, why as a manager would you want to do both of these things at the same time? It feels like way too much work. It feels like it's bad for your initial employer. Also bad for <laughs> bad for the the second uh, the second person you're going to to work for. I guess it's for the bag, but why not go do a Mancini? Like, why not go finesse your way into, like, a four-day consultant job for seven figures? Like, why not go and do Twitch streams like Luis Enrique? I, there's so many, uh, was trying to do. There's so many other ways to make money, especially now. Maybe less so back when Gus Hiddink was doing some of that stuff. All right, fair enough. Even still, there were opportunities. But today in 2023, like, get a TikTok account or something. Don't, don't do two jobs at the same time. It doesn't make sense to me. I, th- I think Joe, it's an excuse to do three jobs because if you want, uh, if you love collecting air miles, you could get one of those YouTube channels where they do like the hacks to uh, get all around the world. And if you had two jobs where you're required to do that, then you've got three jobs. And it, it just if you like being busy, I don't. I'm it going just the other way. Makes sense. I vote hologram. <laughs> we 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 create a hologram technology so that Jurgen Klopp can manage Liverpool and the U.S. simultaneously. So when we've got a January camp, hologram Klopp is. He's going to choose the U.S. for January camp. He'll be in the United States for that one. He'll be hologram managing Liverpool. I don't see how this oh. doesn't work. Or so at, that, at my uh, at my wife's work, they do like secondments no. for jobs. So we make the U.S. men's national team manager's job the world soccer's secondment, and you have a, a different manager drafted in just like every month so you have like Klopp one month Pochettino another month yeah I'm sure that'll be fine continuity won't be a problem at all and if and if maybe listeners I don't know how they couldn't but if if they had no idea what a secondment was Graham could you explain that one please you do someone else's job for a a short period of time then you go back to your old job that's it It, It it's a real word google it yeah it's kind of like a yeah, yeah, totally. It's kind of like, not a sabbatical, but like a, a big multinational company will say, go work in our New York office for six months. And it's just a comment, yeah. that kind of thing. Then you go back to your original job at the end. I have yeah. learned new things today. Thank you, Graham. There you go. Yeah, I still so that's what hologram, we do. but whatever. As we do with US soccer, <laughs> All right. have secondment managers. Secondment is I, good. Uh, Klopp GPT as well. We'll just we'll just use an AI. Oh no. How about that? <laughs> Klopp GPT. I, I really think though, if we were going to do this, like if there were going to be like any manager pick one, I think Joe is right. I think Klopp is a great one for all the reasons already espoused, but then also because I think back to Pia Sundhaga managing the US women's national team when they, they find a way to win at the very end. And she says a line, something along the lines of like, there really is something to this like American spirit, this never say die attitude. 
Like, there is just this intangible. And that resonated so hard with every U.S. media outlet, every U.S. fan. I think people loved that. And I can absolutely see a, like, reinvigorated Happy Klopp being like, this is great. This is so much fun. Like, I can see him being very into the, like, hard work, we're going to grind mentality that I think the U.S. has embraced in the past. And I could see him being the kind of enthusiastic, charismatic leader that kicks them on to next levels. And I would also add that Jurgen Klinsmann was, I believe, the second highest paid coach at the world cup in 2014 so if u.s wants to plead poverty you already paid somebody you can pay somebody again he got a new job this week i saw he's at south korea now he's south korea's new national team manager Mm -hmm. good luck forward to to them having zero tactical discipline at the next world cup should be great (laughs) oh boy all right thank you bobby for that question let's take one more quick break when we come back we're going to talk nwsl and we're going to talk about london back shortly and now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Call 1-800-DIRECTV. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. Terms and restrictions apply. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. Total Soccer Show, welcome back to our listener questions. Aaron Breeding has been in touch and said if the NWSL were to participate in the UEFA Women's Champions League, how would they do in that competition? I think the team sent would be NWSL Cup winner, the Shield winner, and then either the Challenge Cup winner or a runner-up of the competition. Joe, I'll let you kick off with this one. What do you think? Um... How how well would this work out if NWSL teams entered the UEFA Champions League? I think they'd do well. I think they'd compete. I don't think they would be automatic winners or anything close to that. It, it's difficult here because we don't have a lot of data points that give us a look at how these kinds of teams would fare against each other. And, and really, when I say these kinds of teams, I kind of mean the top of the NWSL and the top of Europe. So Barcelona, Lyon, PSG, maybe to a slightly lesser extent, Wolfsburg. I mean, those are the class of, of women's club soccer in Europe at the moment and, and have been for a, a little while now. The best reference point I could find, which I'm not convinced is all that good, is the International Champions Cup, which for the women's side is is a much better representation of quality and actual matchups than the men's side. Just to get that out of the way, it's not just like you know Tottenham coming over to play Porto for no reason. You actually do have teams trying to to go out there and play a lot of the time their best lineup. So I believe there have been four, you know, recent editions of this competition, 2018, 19, 21, and 22. NWSL teams won two of the four. Leon won uh Leon won the other two, basically. So the the Courage won in 2018, Portland won in 2021, and Leon won in 2019 and 2022. I I think that's probably about right. I don't think an NWSL team, Portland, OL Reign, you know, maybe Utah, San Diego in there after a strong year last year. The, the best teams in the NWSL, I don't think they are blowing any of those you know, elite European teams out of the water. 
but I also don't think they're getting embarrassed either. I don't know. Taylor, Graham, do either of you guys disagree strongly here? Did you have a problem with with trying to compare just because you don't have the data? What did this look like? Yeah, I agree, I agree with everything that you've said. I also struggled to... Uh, with, with the men's game, obviously, it's easy to, to just look at the talent of the, the two or two teams from two different continents and say well that team is clearly better it's more difficult to do that with NWSL teams and then women's champions league teams so if you go to the thorns and just go through their team you know it's 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 household names you know Sophia Sophia Smith Janine Becky Christine Sinclair and then you look at Leon Wendy Renard you know Lindsay Horan Caterino Macario uh, Ada Hegerberg you know then Barcelona Pateas who obviously won the 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 I was going to say the Ballon d'Or, but it's not the Ballon d'Or, actually. What is it? FIFA's best uh, female player or whatever that award is. She won that this week. Uh, Hermoso, Grim Hansen, Kira Walsh is at Barcelona as well. So on a talent basis, I kind of struggle to split them. Um, I might take Leon as, as the winners just because they have that muscle memory and they've won it so many times before. But I agree, Joe. I think, you know, teams like the... The thorns and oil rain and 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 you know the courage as the as the challenge cup winners would would be up there and competitive. I just can't really make a solid judgment on who would win. Yeah, basic basic retweet. I would just add, I think they if you did this for like a couple seasons in a row, I think they improve each year. I think the first year, uh, the depth of the top tier teams as has already been laid out, I think would be an issue. But also, it's just a different animal. It's a different thing. We've talked about it with the Real Madrid men's team. As Graham just said, there's a few teams that do have that muscle memory. And I think it would just be more of a slog and a different type of slog because NWCL doesn't really have the league and a major cup competition existing at the same time. So it's just a different entity to have to try to handle. And I think it would take a little bit of time to navigate that or get more comfortable with it. Uh, And then I think they'd start winning from there. So I think it would be basically what Joe said. I think they'd be fine and competitive. This should happen though. Yeah. I'm fully on board with with this happening. So I think with the women's game um, and the development that still needs to happen, you can make an argument that getting the best teams together in the same competition would have a real benefit. Where I can't really make that, I can't really make that argument for the men's game. I don't have any great desire to see like LAFC in the Champions League, but some NWSL teams in the women's Champions League, I think, would benefit everyone. I think the women's Champions League gets stronger. I think the players benefit. I think fans benefit. So, yeah, let's make this happen. They've done it in the past with some ICC stuff where they would have teams come over here and could be like, I think the the Courage beat uh, Lyon in the final of that one. But then you have that same thing of one team is going to be in midseason, one team is going to be in preseason, and you rarely get the situation in which they're both sort of at prime competition level in a competition that truly matters, that has weight behind it. So I think those get kind of touted as like, well, we've seen it happen and the Courage won. Uh, but I think that's kind of a, a different entity to, to what we're talking about here. Indeed. Very good thought exercise there, Aaron. Thank you very much for that question. We move on to Graham Bailey. This question is mainly for the British contingent. And now I realize why the name is Graham Bailey. Uh, but <laughs> the uh, the American <laughs> contingent can answer this question as well, says Graham Bailey. Help me understand the City of London. I feel like there are about 145 teams based in London. How big is London? How do all the teams fit? Is there actually multiple cities, but they couldn't think of different names? Um, yeah, London's quite big, I suppose is my first answer to that one, Graham. There are 17 professional teams in London. And if you count sort of the area just outside the, the ring road that goes around at the M25, Watford and Luton and, and teams like that, you could add even more to the mix as well. Obviously, yeah. Premier League teams, you've got Tottenham, Arsenal, West Ham, 
Chelsea, Fulham, Palace and Brentford. Uh, yeah, so yeah, London is big. It ha- historically has a lot of teams in it, Graham. And um, I've got a list of actually other major world cities that have quite a lot of teams in them too. But I'll let you uh, you uh, answer this question too. Well, no, run run through that first so we can get an idea of how London compares to some of the other cities because okay. it does have an ecosystem that I think is unparalleled in world football, but just, just lay that out for us. Sure. So as I say, 17 professional teams, of whom seven are in the Premier League, the teams I mentioned there. Uh, there's a few comparisons you can make. Um, Istanbul's got a few. Um, Besiktas, Fenerbahce, Galatasaray. The Qatari League, seven of 12 teams are in Doha. Who would have thought that? Oh, that doesn't so, count. So they equal the London, arguably, <laughs> arguably. Uh, I think the one that comes closest from what I could see is Buenos Aires as well, with Boca Juniors, River Plate, San Lorenzo, Huracan, uh, Vélez Sarsfield and Argentinos Juniors uh, as top flight teams. Right. So there are other large conurbations that also have a lot of teams focused in them. But I suppose it just comes back to history and geography, doesn't it, Graham? London being the central point of England with a high population density, inevitably the most popular sport brings a lot of teams with it. Yeah, another thing about London is, and, and I think Graham, if that is, is his real name in the question, I doubt it is, but in, in Graham's question, he kind of uh, says, I think he's joking and saying, is it different cities? Uh, they couldn't think of different names. Well, my impression of London is that is kind of the case with, with, with London. You just have um, lots of different communities. You know, it's very difficult to get from one place to the other. It takes a lot of time and you will pass through those communities that each have their own identity um and i have been to other cities and i know that is not something that is entirely unique to london you know you go to new york there are different communities but i don't know my impression of london is it feels like there are there are even more communities than most other cities and they each want to have a a football club that reflects that identity and then obviously you factor in the history and the fact that they've been playing soccer in london for longer than most cities on, on, on the planet so those two things combined just means that there's more clubs because my impression is that there's not really a unified London identity in the way that there might be in other world cities, you know, so each of those communities, as I say, have their own club. Yeah. And Taylor, in terms of how all those teams fit, I think it's quite simple. There's no Chile's in London. So they use all that space to build stadiums, Uh, fewer dentists, arguably as well. There's there's a lot of reasons why we can fit more more fields in basically. You don't you don't you don't need to do this, Ryan Bailey. That's for <laughs> that's for them. <laughs> uh, I mean, it, it is basically it's just uh, that it was the capital of the British Empire, and then they had several policies, and then the Industrial Revolution that sort of drew everybody to that one central location, and then within that, I think you're going to get sort of neighborhoods that become their own entity their own sort of city within a city and then those neighborhoods will have a club that they identify with or vice versa and then it kind of grows from there and i think that's that's one of the coolest things about the Premier league is how many teams you have uh within touching distance or close to touching distance uh like what fulham and chelsea are maybe three miles apart if that like they're they're very close and i think that does create some of those rivalries when you look at the map of london divided up into like uh like the areas that support which club there's so many uh areas that have like two and three teams that are divided loyalties that i think it makes for just an interesting dynamic for sure yeah it was interesting when i was a kid taylor and you looked at the map of london and all the teams and which areas which teams were supported it was entirely red for manchester united (laughs) (laughs) 
Not that you're better about that. Uh, well, red red <laughs> no. for Manchester United and then red for Arsenal at the same time. Those feel like the two that would have been kind of dominant. Maybe a little bit of Arsenal in, in the counties that uh, are, are around London, possibly. <laughs> possibly. But that's my, my playground experience was that. And some one Blackburn thing, fans thing. when they were good for one season. <laughs> I'm sorry, Ryan. Uh, one thing that I think is interesting that you pointed out is how... I think of this as being a London phenomena, but it really is a thing that occurs all over the place. Like you mentioned with Istanbul there, there's like at least three more teams that I can think of that play in that city. So it is, I think, more of a, a, a common thing. I think just that London has quite so many. Uh, it really does kind of put it at, at the top yeah. of that list. The funny thing about London is, um, obviously, they have Wembley Stadium, which is the national stadium. No club team plays there. And so I just think that's funny that in London they were like, we need a national stadium. You can't move for football stadiums, but they needed a sta- another national stadium that isn't used every single week. Yeah, they need yeah, an, and there's also an Olympic one too, I believe. Yeah. yeah. They built a separate Olympic stadium, even though they, used, they did have an Olympics at Wembley previously, uh, a few decades earlier. And there's also Twickenham, a national rugby stadium, at which no team plays either. So lots of empty stadiums as well, Graham. <laughs> mm, yeah, very efficient. Mm. Very efficient. Wem- Wembley and Twickenham are very English stadium names, I have to say. Twickenham. Twickers. Twickers, darling, is what we call it. Can, oh, um, not Twickers. No, 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 no. Nails down a chalkboard, that Twickers. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's very rugby. Uh, Joe, <laughs> very a, quick, rugby. A, a quick stat for you, Joe. Did you Please. know that London teams have won 21 more English championships than Phoenix, Arizona? Wow. Wow. That, yeah. that kind of blows my mind. I, uh, True, right? Man. Ryan dropping the the opta level stats out here. Good work. Yeah. Wait. I need to how many, like one word afterwards. To how many? Yeah. Right. Ryan. Right. Massive. Period. How many? Ryan. Yeah, how yeah. many? Uh, <laughs> how many Premier League titles has your neighborhood won? That's the real question. Oh, if you count all the players, all of them. Okay. Right. That's what I was looking yeah. for. Yeah. Ryan, h- how far does that go back? That stat um, you just listed. The stat I found was 21 English championships, that's Premier League and First Division, 35 FA Cups, 12 League Cups, 8 Community Shields. Uh, Is that five. not a small amount? For every club in London combined, they've won 21 yeah. titles? So nor- the North West is like 53 yeah. or yeah. something. Yeah. I mean, what, Liverpool remember- and Manchester United combined for 38, I think, something like that. <laughs> Or forty, yeah, and then you've got Man City yeah. who have a good a oh, good yeah. haul now, and Leeds are in there. So London, oh, are, are Leeds London the city that wins everything, the capital city of football, except for that they don't win that much. Yeah, Taylor, you have to remember before Rupert Murdoch invented soccer in 1992 yeah. with the Premier League, it was mainly the Northwest that won everything. So that's a reason why. Yeah, and after Rupert Murdoch and Sky, it was also the Northwest. They were called Manchester United. That's why everyone in London supported them, Ryan Bailey, as you were just telling us. I feel like you all are baiting me into talking about Manchester United to then get mad at me for talking about Manchester United. That's what this seems to be. (laughs) And I'm not buying it. I'm not buying it. Ryan, he's seen through it. He's seen through it. Taylor, shut up. Okay. (laughs) All right. Thank you very much, uh, Graham Bailey, for that question. One more from Calvin Lazum. Oh, wait. Hey, Ryan, sorry. I'm really... I had one more point to add. Um... It was... Uh, no, you shut up. <laughs> uh, point taken. Banter. Thank you very much. Thank you <laughs> very much. descended into farce. <laughs> We're over an hour, this folks. Is what ha- this is what happens when we We're bring not. Ryan back. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you shouldn't do that. There's, there you go. That's what happens. Uh, Calvin Lazum says, what discontinued soccer competition would you bring back? There have been plenty. I've got a few examples. Uh, who wants to go first? Joe, any discontinued soccer contests? 
My answer is there's too much soccer already, and I'm not touching (laughs) anything that's been discontinued. Taylor, you said it well in the pre-show. I think you said something to the effect of, like, I did some research and can see why these were discontinued. So the only thing that I have to say on this question, it's, it's short, it's sweet. It's not a competition in the way that I think Calvin is getting at, but it is a competition in the battle of wills and throws and kicks between people that get to wear gloves, it's goalie wars. Not between teams, between people. I am almost 100% sure that's not what Calvin was looking for, but it is the only thing I have written down in my notes because I truly, truly do not want us to resurrect anything that's already been chopped. Wait, Joe, clarify what that is. I know we've spoken about this previously, but I have forgotten. Oh, yeah, okay. Fair enough. So you set the the goals like really close to each other. I don't know what the distance is, maybe 20, 30 yards. And it's just two goalkeepers, one in each goal. And they take turns. They can either chuck the ball into the back of the other goalkeeper's net, like long throw style, or they can kick it. And you get points for, for getting the ball past the other goalkeeper and you play to a set amount. MLS, I think, is getting closer and closer to bringing this back, like for real, around the All Star. Wait, so where did this take? Where, oh, All Star. That, that, that was the, used to happen. I believe right. Taylor. That was the origin of goalie wars. It was back, you know, a while ago around all the All Star festivities. Yeah. And they're sort of t- they tested it last year. I was there in Minnesota, and they did it during mostly like commercial breaks for when all the other All Star stuff was happening, which was a, a real bummer. But it was excellent to watch in person. It's funny. It's good. It's not like another. 18 game commitment for everybody involved players coaches everybody like that so yeah goalie wars until Gerard Piquet gets hold of it, it will yeah be a full with balloons you do it with balloons <laughs> that's what you do I'm down oh dear that's an excellent suggestion um Graham do you uh, do you remember the Anglo-Italian Cup it ah, is. it's on my list. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> so uh, it ran from 1980, I believe, to 96, and it had various different guises. I think it was originally supposed to be the League Cup winner taking on the Coppa Italia winner. So then you get, like, Swindon against Juventus. You get yeah. these really weird <laughs> matches in, in it. Uh, but that was a lot of fun when you had two sort of um, different leagues going up against each other in the tournament, and they introduced, like, a 16 version of it as well. That was – actually, no. Now I'm yeah. mentioning it. Now nah, we don't need it. <laughs> So it was on my list just purely to aggravate you. I just wanted to see how worked up you would get about an Anglo-Italian Cup. But also going through the past winners and teams that were in this competition, I'm not sure England were sending their best to this tournament. Because if you look through the English teams, Swindon, Blackpool... Wickham Wanderers, and then you look at the Italian teams, Napoli, Roma, Bologna, Fiorentina. So there is an imbalance there where it feels like England maybe wasn't holding up their end of the bargain. Yeah, England at one point started sending second, they made it a second tier um, contest. Only teams in the second division could could go. I I think from what I read, it's because at the time, third division clubs weren't allowed into European competition. So if a third division team won a cup, which they did, they couldn't then go play in the European competitions. So that the Anglo-Italian Cup existed basically to give those teams that won an opportunity to play in Europe against better opposition. My guess would be that those teams stopped winning the FA Cup because the Premier League. Uh, and then from there, it kind of, I mean, I think it stopped existing before that. I might be wrong. Uh, but that, that was an interesting one. I also enjoyed that every article I read because I kept trying to find more detail about it. Every single one kind of lost steam about two sentences in. It was just like, ah, it existed. It was a thing. Like, Italy won it once. I don't know. Whatever. It doesn't matter. Uh, I was into the Cup Winners' Cup as well. Uh, Then I read about why it declined. And yeah, that's basically it. Uh, Every single one of these, I feel like there is a very good answer as to why most of them stopped functioning. And the answer is usually because of the Champions League. Yeah, indeed. Graham, any other noms? 
Yeah, so the competition that I really need in my life is the Tenant Sixes. So this was an indoor tournament played in the 80s and 90s. And I know we're all familiar with Masters football where it's retired legends who play indoor soccer. Um, well, this was the actual teams. So you have Celtic and Rangers and Hearts and Hibs and all the big clubs with six-a-side teams and they played for a week in, in you know an indoor arena in Glasgow. And those teams were made up of their best players and people still talk about this like every year. There's videos surface on social media because it just seems like so ridiculous that these teams sent their best players to go and play these six-a-side games. But yeah, I actually think, to be serious, if they brought it back, it would be such an effective way to promote Scottish football football there's nothing like that in uh, in world football and people would talk about it so yeah let's bring back tenant sexes graham you've actually tapped on the correct answer because i was going to endorse a similar contest that happened in london it, and i remember it vividly and used to love watching it every year it's called the london five asides so it was five aside indoor tournament usually at wembley arena it actually ran from 1954 until 1995 and as as the name suggests, it was all the London teams who play like a knockout tournament. And it was wild because you watch like Premier League teams in their Premier League kits wearing like white sneakers on an indoor court. And like you could tell like some players who were really good on an 11-a-side field were like terrible at 5-a-side and vice versa. It was absolutely brilliant. Wimbledon actually made two finals of the London 5-a-sides. Uh, so I, I, I completely uh, agree. No, no, go. but I, the, the concept of taking a few days off, like the, the, the British version of the League's Cup, we'll take, a, we'll take a month off to do some 5-a-side. I'm all in on that. I think that would be so good. Yeah, that's yeah. really I mean, good. That's am- really good. I am joking, but also not really joking. If they brought back tournaments like that, I would be fully on board. I would enjoy them a lot. There we go. All right, let's start the campaign. But in the meantime, that was Listener Questions. Taylor Rockwell, thank you so much. I'm sorry I told you to shut up. I love you. Right back at you, buddy. (laughs) Joe Lowry, thank you very much for all your help on this one. Yeah, thank you, Ryan. And Graham Bailey, a pleasure as always. Thank you, Ryan Bailey. Yeah, that was weird. Thank you very much, listener, for tuning in on this one. We'll be back on the feed very shortly. But for now, bye. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. 
Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. 